Hello and welcome to the Dementia Researcher Podcast. This is the final show in our special 2021 blogs roundup, sharing some of the great narrator blogs we've published throughout the year. I'm Adam Smith, I'm the Programme Director for Dementia Researcher at University College London, and it's my pleasure to be introducing these shows. Every week, we publish new blogs on a whole range of topics, from careers and science and care research and much more. Our contributors talk about their work and experiences or new projects they're working on, and we're always on the lookout for more people to share their thoughts and advice. So, if you've been listening this week and thought, I could do that, drop us a line. All our blogs are published with text and narrations on our website. They also have a dedicated podcast channel called Dementia Researcher Blogs, and we share them on YouTube. So please do subscribe. Our last compilation of the week has been titled Thriving, Not Just Surviving. We had lots of blogs early in the year sharing life during lockdown and talking about the importance of mental health and how, as researchers, we need to have an extra level of resilience. So today, we're sharing a few blogs on surviving lockdown and coping with the stresses of academia. For our first blog, it's one I wrote myself and it's titled How to Build Resilience and Bounce Back, and it explores seven integral and interrelated components that can help. It was first published in July. How to Build Resilience and Bounce Back In this blog, I'm not going to talk about how to write a great grant application or how to write a paper. There are already dozens of articles on here that talk about that. I'm going to talk about resilience and how to overcome the knockbacks that come from rejection, how the choices you make can make you a more resilient person. To work in research, you need to have the ability to adapt, to manage adversity, tragedy, rejection, stress and uncertainty. These skills don't just apply to grant applications or paper rejections, they apply to so many elements of your life and work. From the clinician working with people living with dementia day in day out, the lab researcher who can't quite make the experiment work, or the data scientist frustrated with their code. Of course being resilient does not mean that you won't experience difficulties, distress, disappointment or anxiety, but it does mean that you'll have the ability to navigate these stressful situations. When you have the skills and the confidence to confront and work through these problems, you can internalise the message that you are strong and capable, and you can keep going, you can resubmit that paper, you can get the next grant. Dr Ginsberg, human development expert, proposes that there are seven integral and interrelated components that make up being resilient. Competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Now, I'm not entirely sure I buy into these seven C's, but I definitely can see how some of them have relevance. So let's go through them and add in a few inspirational quotes along the way to emphasize the points. Number one, competence. Competence is the ability to know how to handle stressful situations effectively. It requires having the skills to face challenges. This isn't something you can teach, it is doing the things you know you need to do. Breathing, 
getting outside, staying calm, exercise, compartmentalizing. To quote the curious case of Benjamin Button, our lives are defined by opportunities, even the ones we miss. Number two, confidence. Confidence is the belief in one's own abilities and is rooted in competence. You gain confidence by being able to demonstrate your competence in real situations. One way to gain confidence is by taking opportunities to present your work at big conferences or small, or even just to write a blog and practice, practice, practice. To quote that great Daft Punk song, work it, make it, do it, make us harder, better, faster, stronger. Number three, connection. If you keep strong ties to colleagues, people living with dementia and your support network, you're likely to have a stronger sense of security and a sense of belonging. This is an important one for me. If you have a direct line of sight between you and your work and the people that are benefiting from it, it makes it harder to give up. And it's a great reminder of why you're writing that grant application and why you're doing a PhD. If you work in a lab, step outside, do some volunteering, public engagement, create a connection. I promise it is worth it. And to quote Monty Python, if life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. Number four, character. Academics with character enjoy a strong sense of self-worth and confidence. Self-worth and confidence are something that may be at an all-time low when you get the grant rejection, but remember, they're not rejecting you. There are lots of reasons for grant application rejections. Take their feedback, improve and remember, sometimes it's just that there isn't enough money to go round. The person that got the funding isn't better than you. And to quote Chumbawamba, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Number five, contribution. If you feel you are personally contributing to the field you work within, you can learn the powerful lesson that the work is better placed because you're in it, doing your work. This ties back to connection. And to quote Drake, Sometimes it's the journey that teaches you a lot about your destination. Number six, coping. Researchers who have a wide repertoire of coping skills, examples, social skills, stress reduction skills, etc., are able to cope more effectively and are better prepared to overcome life's challenges. I won't do the accent, but to quote Rocky Balboa, nobody's going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's how much you can tape and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Number seven, control. Accepting there are things that you can and can't control make it more likely that you can bounce back from life's challenges. And to quote the Lion King, oh yes, the past can hurt, but you can either run from it or learn from it. So easy, right? No. Perhaps easier said than done, but hey, I have one very practical suggestion. Join the Dementia Researcher WhatsApp community and I promise you'll find a supportive group of people facing the same challenges as you. And even if no one else says this, I'm your biggest fan, I value your contribution, and if I can help, just ask. And my final quote for this blog, Bob Marley, get up, 
stand up, don't give up the fight. I got a little carried away with the quotes in that one. I only wish I was good at doing fun voices for them. At our next blog, we hear from second-year PhD student Beth Eyre from the University of Sheffield. This blog is called Looking After Your Wellbeing as a PhD Student During a Pandemic. It was published in the dark days of January 2021 in the UK when the third lockdown came into force. Hello and welcome to my first real vlog of 2021. I thought it was really important that today I talk about well-being as a PhD student during a pandemic. I don't need to tell you that 2020 was a year like no other. Our lives were completely uprooted and every aspect of society was hit and is still being hit by the pandemic. And now, at the start of 2021, we are in another lockdown. Part of completing a PhD involves problem solving, being flexible and adapting plans to ever-changing circumstances. And that certainly has been the case for PhD students this year, with some students potentially not even having met their supervisors in person yet. One of the major changes to impact PhD students across the world was that most of us in some capacity had to start working from home. If you were really lucky, you had space for a home office or even a desk. Days seemed to merge into one with Zoom meeting, after Zoom meeting, after Zoom meeting, and sadly, no experiments in sight. The pandemic has not only pushed us to adapt to new ways of working, but it has also pushed us to question and potentially change our relationship with our well-being. If I'm honest, trying to write a blog about well-being has ironically stressed me out a little bit, but I'm glad I persevered. While it's an important topic, I've personally also found writing it to be quite a cathartic exercise and it's even made me realise that I perhaps need to take my own advice sometimes as well. So one thing that really became apparent throughout the year was how much I actually relied on socialising for my own well-being. I can imagine I was not alone in this as 2020 has made all of us completely reevaluate what we do for our well-being as seeing friends, going out for brunch or having a pint at the pub was completely off the cards. So how do you look after your well-being when you can't socialise with others and when you work where you live? So this is not an exhaustive list and I'm not saying these things will work for everyone. I'm a PhD student with no children so I understand that these may not be practical in different circumstances. Number one, work-life boundaries. Make some. This is a difficult one when working from home. It's easy for work to overrun because you're working where you're living but if you constantly work and don't take time for yourself the chances of burnout are high. So set yourself a start time and an end time and try and stick to it. And remember to take small breaks often. Number two, exercise each day. I'm not saying you should be doing a marathon every day because that would be awful. But a little bit of movement really goes a long way. So go on a walk on your lunch break or after your tea. That's dinner to anyone in the South of England. Walk around the living room, home office. Just move your body. You'll definitely feel the benefit. Number three, do something you enjoy each day. That's not work-related. Read, listen to music, a podcast, journal, cook a nice meal, watch a documentary. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's something you enjoy. Number four, reevaluate your expectations and always be kind to yourself. 
Setting expectations is important as a PhD student, as it can help us achieve important goals and milestones. However, expectations do have pitfalls, especially if we don't meet them. I certainly have not met a number of expectations I set for myself in the past year, but I have re-evaluated them to ensure that they are now realistic for the situation that we're now in. This all comes under the idea of being kind to yourself. Your productivity is not going to be the same as it was before, and that's totally okay. Number five, stay in touch with others. One thing I found really difficult during the first lockdown was staying in touch with people, especially the lab. Zoom fatigue is indeed a real thing, and the idea of socialising over Zoom just made me want to go to sleep. But I found it was really important to touch base with other lab members often in order to feel that I was still part of an academic community. The same goes for staying in touch with friends and family. The idea of having to spend even more time on a screen is draining, but a quick catch-up with a friend or family member did make me feel more connected to other human beings afterwards. Number six, but avoid falling down a social media rabbit hole. It's okay to turn off the news or take a break from academic Twitter. Social media has become an integral part of not only where we get our news, but also how we communicate our science to others. However, social media can also be very draining and especially more draining during a pandemic. So don't feel bad for taking a hiatus. Academic Twitter will still be there when you return. Number seven, learn how to say no. Learning to say no has been a big thing for me this year. Prior to this year, I was pretty worried about saying no to opportunities in academia. However, this year has also taught me that I literally cannot do it all. And this has become especially apparent since I've progressed into the second year of my PhD and started communicating my science more often. Saying no is a really important skill to learn. Other opportunities will arise, so don't be afraid to say no to something if you know it's going to be too much for you right now. And most importantly, make sure to acknowledge your feelings. It's fine to have days where you don't feel like PhDing, but it's also always important to remember why you started and the impact that your work could potentially have. As some parts of the world re-enter lockdowns, and we in the UK find ourselves considering the same, I feel the advice in this blog could be incredibly useful. I hope you're all staying safe and well, and if you can, do get vaccinated. Our third blog comes from Dr Sam Moxon, Research Associate from the University of Manchester. It's called Keeping Sane in Lockdown, and is just one of quite a few Sam wrote around this topic. Take a look on our website to find blogs on job hunting during a pandemic and on the topic of science resilience and how to cope with failed experiments. This blog was published in February. Lockdown has become a rather unwelcome addition to our daily lives over the last nine months. When we entered the first natural lockdown in spring 2020, it was a very new and unsettling concept, and I think many of us expected it to be the only instance. We are now in the reality of a third national lockdown, a trilogy none of us wanted to see. Some of us might even look upon the spring national lockdown with a weird kind of nostalgia. Whilst we were heavily restricted, at least the days were longer, the weather warmer, and the national morale far higher. I am, however, a big believer in the idea that it is always possible to see a positive in any situation, and I think there are a few things you can do to make lockdown life a bit more of a pleasant experience. Hopefully some of these changes to your daily routine help you too. 
Now let me start by saying I'm not going to preach to you on the best ways of homeschooling. I'm not a parent, so I can't pretend to understand the difficulties of juggling homeworking and homeschooling during a national lockdown. Instead, the text version of this article has a link from someone who is far more informed on the best ways to manage that task, and I suggest you click on that instead. With that in mind, here are some of the things that have helped me get by and even enjoy daily life in the current circumstances. Number one, affirmations. This is the first recommendation and it comes straight from the mouth of hypnotist and behavioural scientist Paul McKenna. And it's something I've been doing for a while. Essentially, try and start your day by stating three things that you are thankful for. They do not have to be particularly big things. Today I'm thankful that I had a good night's sleep, an enjoyable breakfast and the weather is a little warmer. If you can think of a few more, even better. Doing something as simple as this shows you that no matter how bad your day was, you still found things to be thankful for. It gives you the mindset that the world is not an inherently bad place. There are always good things to be found. Number two, get outside. Current lockdown rules permit you to go outside for exercise in your local area once per day. I would go a step further and say you should go out once a day if you can. A major issue from working from home is the lack of segregation between the work environment and the home environment. You log off at the end of the workday, but you can still feel like you're at work because your settings have not changed. Getting some time outdoors can really help disconnect you from the Groundhog Day style feeling of repetition and no escape. This is a much less tempting prospect when it's cold outside, but if you can do it, I say you should. You will enjoy the change of scenery and arrive back home in a much better mood. You might even be thankful to be back inside when it's warm afterwards. Exercise. So this is the third suggestion, and exercise and going outside can be treated separately. If you want to run outside, they obviously then combine because your outdoor time is being combined with exercise. But do not underestimate the benefits of an at-home workout. I know I prefer working out at home when the temperatures are colder, especially in winter, and working out in your pyjamas is an underrated experience. Whichever way you choose to do it, I highly recommend trying to exercise at least three to five times a week. Exercise promotes the release of endorphins in your brain, making you feel great and accomplished by the end of the workout. Number four, the smell of spring. This is a rather simple one. One of the things keeping me going during this lockdown is the knowledge that spring is right around the corner. The days are getting longer and every day brings us a step closer to warmer weather and sunnier skies. If you're looking for a morale boost, try and bring spring into your home. A bunch of tulips from Lidl and a spring-scented candle from Home Bargains can instantly make your home feel fresher and brighter, especially on those dull winter days. Number five, social and news media cutoff. Segregating yourself from social and news media is a big one for me. Feeling positive is very important in situations like this and there is a negative correlation between mood and social news media use. The next time you load up Twitter or your news app, take a step back and look at it objectively. How much of the content is positive? You'll be shocked at how much the negative outweighs anything uplifting. Scrolling through that on a regular basis means you are constantly exposing yourself to the doom and gloom. Pull yourself out of it for a little while and seek more positive stimulation instead. Occupy the time you would normally spend on Twitter with something that makes you happy. I look at pictures of the Lake District, play with my dog or read a bit of a book. It definitely makes you feel better than scrolling the despair of a Twitter feed. Eating well. This is a trickier one. We're locked inside and bored and that often leads us to head to the fridge for something to do. Unfortunately, eating lots of junk food doesn't make you feel good. It triggers a quick spike in blood sugar and you get a subsequent insulin surge. The result is a quick drop in blood sugar, leaving you feeling tired, irritable and hungry once again. A healthier and balanced diet makes you feel far happier as your body processes the food in a much better way. 
Healthy food is energizing and can make a big difference to your day. Frequent eating is not a big issue. It is common in a situation like this. As long as you ensure what you eat is mostly healthy, you can get away with it and still feel good. Create an occasion. One of the things we can feel deprived of in lockdown is the sense of occasion we get from going out to dinner, a trip to the cinema or a few drinks in a bar. With all hospitality closed, it is very difficult to get that type of excitement, but that does not mean we have to miss out. Pick one or two nights each week where you can treat yourself. For us, Friday night is treats and movie night. We open a bottle or two of wine and enjoy something decadent before relaxing in front of a movie with plenty of popcorn. It is something to look forward to each week and it really kicks off your weekend in the best possible way. Finally, go easy on yourself. This last tip is the most important. This is not an easy situation and there will be times when you slip up and eat seven packets of crisps. While you should not make a habit of this, go easy on yourself when you do. Your mental health is the most important thing and if you feel like you need to give yourself a break, do so. Don't be afraid to reach out to others when you need a boost. We're all in this together. How have you been coping with the pandemic restrictions and uncertainty? We'd love to hear, so feel free to comment using the box below or drop us a tweet using hashtag ECRDementia. Our last blog today comes from Morgan Daniel. We followed Morgan through her MSc course at UCL during 2020 and 2021. It was a difficult time for students, particularly if you were away from home managing with new home study plans and living in student accommodation. This blog came towards the end of her studies and is titled Tips for Taking Care of Yourself During Grad School and it was shared back in August. Hi everyone. My master's is coming to an end this month and I can't believe how quickly it's flown by. During this year-long degree, I've learned a few things about taking care of yourself while getting through a postgrad. I thought I would share them with all of you, as I know it's something that a lot of people in academia struggle with. Throughout my undergraduate degree, I wasn't the best at taking good care of myself. I've always been reasonably healthy, but I didn't take it seriously enough when studying for my first degree. This led to burnout and stress, and is something I knew I wanted to change going into my master's. I decided to make some positive changes. My first piece of advice is to try your best to treat your masters like a nine to five or stick to a work schedule that suits you. By this, I mean stick to regular working hours that suit you and when you're most productive and make the most of those hours rather than spending all day every day at a computer screen. This is much easier said than done. And on the odd occasion this year, I did end up burning the midnight oil while working on assignments and studying for exams. But in comparison to my undergraduate behaviours, I found that trying to stick to a nine to five made me much more organised, more productive, and gave me more free time in my evenings to actually do the things that I enjoy. I would treat the library like an office, and when heading home for the day, I was happy knowing that my studying was over. It was also really beneficial when trying to socialise with friends who were working in a nine to five job and have evenings free rather than the freedom that come with being a student. On that note, Try your best to take a break and socialise as much as you need to. We're all different and while I'm very sociable and friendly at times, I do enjoy my own space. So for myself personally, I need a balance between spending time with friends and having my own time to relax. Either way, I think it's important to get as much social interaction as you need and to try to keep in touch with those close to you while studying your master's degree. A master's is not easy. 
and it helps to blow off some steam every now and again and to have friends that you can lean on for support. I found that staying as healthy as possible and exercising regularly this year helped massively with my ability to focus at university and take a break when I needed one. I took up running a few years ago and during lockdown threw myself into running more often as there honestly wasn't much else to do for a good portion of 2020. This running and exercise is something that I tried to continue when completing my masters. It gave me some headspace through the week and allowed me to relax. It was also a great way of seeing a new city and getting to know my surroundings. Exploring your surroundings and getting some fresh air can be very relaxing, although the air here in London isn't exactly as fresh as I would like. My final tip, and one that's always been important for myself personally, is to try to get enough sleep. I'm very familiar with lack of sleep, having worked part-time throughout my time at university and enjoyed a night out like most students, but sleep really did help me a lot this year. I made sure to sleep whenever I felt tired and tried to get enough sleep each night. My part-time work this year made it more difficult to have a nighttime sleep routine, as I was often on call overnight, and this routine is something I really missed. I enjoy having a regular sleep and wake time and find that when I've slept enough, I'm much more productive and energetic throughout the day. I'm looking forward to handing in my dissertation in the coming weeks and catching up on some of the sleep that I've been missing. I hope that some of these tips, while cliche and obvious, are helpful to those of you beginning your master's journey this year. Morgan. Reflecting back on those last three blogs, you will have noticed a theme, which is eat well, exercise and socialise. Early this year, I wrote a blog discussing my own difficulties with anxiety and speaking from experience, I can honestly say it really helps. It may not make your problems or symptoms go away, but it's a great start. Today is New Year's Eve, a time when we commonly reflect and put unrealistic goals in place, which when not realised, can make you feel worse than you did before. So I won't suggest making resolutions, but instead I will wish you the best. You're brilliantly helping people living with dementia through your research, and if there really is something you want to change, start small. In fact, so small that it's impossible to fail. That's all for today, and for the Blogs Roundup series. Thank you for listening, and Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Join the Dementia Research bloggers and share your own views.